Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the Word of the Lord. It's early tonight, but I just feel like I have something I need to get off of my mind and out of my heart. And hopefully you will receive something from the Lord tonight. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 27, down through verse number 37. Matthew, the sixth chapter, begin reading with verse number 24, and we will read down to the end of chapter 6. I don't know, but perhaps tonight could be one of the most important messages that I can deliver to you in all of the years that I have preached. I don't know how many sermons I've preached, how many messages I've tried to deliver. I've been doing this for right at 40 years. And so tonight, I don't know. I started at a young age uh, trying to preach. I don't know how many sermons I've preached, but several thousand. But tonight, it could be one of the most important words that I will ever share with you and that you will ever hear. So I hope that you will pay attention. I hope you'll take some notes. I hope you'll write down what I'm going to share with you because I feel like it can be life-changing. Reading from Matthew chapter 20 or chapter 6 and verse number 24, he said, "No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other." You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more? Everybody say much more. Shall he not much more clothe you O ye of little faith, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. 
Everybody said amen. Now let me share with you a thought before I let you be seated. That there was a young man, this is a true story. He became a great author back at the turn of the century. But a young man one day sat down and he made a list of things he would like to possess in life. As he thought about what those things would be, he began to write what came to his mind. The first thing that came was health. He wanted health. The second thing that came was love. Certainly he wanted love in life. Third was beauty. And then the next was talent, power, riches. The end of his list was fame. After having completed his list, he showed it to a wise old man. The wise man looked at the list of the younger man and replied, This is an excellent list. And these are noble desires. It is processed. uh, it, It possesses content. And it is set down in a not unreasonable order. But, he said, it appears that you have omitted the most important element of all. He said that element that I'm talking about that you have forgotten is an ingredient that when it is lacking in your life, each possession that you have highlighted will become a hideous torment and your list as great as it is will become an intolerable burden. When the man heard that, he said, well, what have I missed? What have I forgotten? And the old man took a pen and he crossed out all of the words that the young man had written and he put three words on the page. Peace of mind. Amen. Peace of mind. You can have talent, but if you don't have peace of mind, you are one tormented soul. You can have money. And you can have fame and you can have power. You can have people that love you. You can be talented as the world is with great wealth. You can even have health and you can have prosperity. But if you do not have peace of mind, you will never enjoy one of those things. Amen. And so tonight I want to talk to you about how To have peace in spite of everything. Amen. I want you to say that with me. How to have peace in spite of everything. Come on, say it one more time. How to have peace in spite of everything. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. A former president of the Norwegian Academy of Sciences and many historians from England, Egypt, Germany, and India came up with some startling information. And that is that since 3600 B.C., the world has known, listen to me, since 3600 B.C., before Christ, The world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period of time, there has been 14,351 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. 
the value of the property that was destroyed by these wars could pay for a golden belt around the world that circled the earth 97.2 miles wide and 33 foot thick. Since 650 B.C., there has been only, uh, there have been also 1,656 arms races and only 16 of which have not ended in war. The remainder ended in the economic collapses of the countries involved. The point is that our world has desperately wanted and needed peace for a long time. But as these statistics show us, it seems to be the most elusive quality and element of life that there is. Duke University did a study. They studied peace of mind and the factors found that contributed greatly to emotional and mental stability. And this is what they discovered from their study. Number one, the absence of suspicion and resentment was needed in order for a person to have peace of mind. You could not nurse a grudge or a major disagreement and find happiness. Number two, it is important not to live in the past. It is unwholesome to be preoccupied with old mistakes and failures because they only seem to lead to depression. The third thing that they discovered in their study is that we must not waste time and energy fighting conditions that you cannot change. We must learn how, as they said, to cooperate with life instead of trying to run away from it. The fourth thing that they discovered is that, force, that you must force yourself to stay involved in the living world. You must resist the temptation to withdraw and hide and recluse yourself uh, to, to deal with your emotional issues. The fifth thing that they discovered was that you must refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. Accept the fact that nobody gets through life without some sorrow and misfortune. He said also that in order to know peace of mind, we must cultivate the old-fashioned virtues. I thought that was amazing that a, a university like Duke would tell men that in order to have peace of mind, that you have to cultivate old-fashioned virtues, love, humor, compassion, loyalty. The seventh thing they discovered was that you do not expect too much of yourself. But by expecting too much of yourself, many times you put undue pressure and there's a wide gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet the goals that you have set. And the last thing that they found in their study was that you must find something bigger than yourself to believe in. They said in their study they discovered that self-centered, egotistical people scored the lowest in any test for measuring happiness.
It's amazing that Duke would spend the amount of money that they spent on a subject like peace of mind when there is an answer in the Bible that I read from tonight. It is amazing to me that of all the elements of life, there is none that supersedes our need or our desire for peace. There is no one in this building that does not desire peace. I don't care who you are. Nobody likes to be at war either with others or within yourself. Because more important than even our health or power or riches, we want to know peace in our soul and in our mind. And so peace is one of the most significant principles in our life, and it is so in Scripture. I want you to guess with me tonight, how many verses do you believe in, in, in your Bible which reference peace? Anybody want to take a number and throw out? How many times do you think peace is mentioned in your Bible or, or in the verses of your Bible? A hundred? How many would say a hundred? How about two hundred? How about three hundred? Would you believe it if I told you that there are over 400 verses in the Bible that speak specifically to us about peace? Over 400 times and multiple times within those verses, God tries to convey to you and I the importance of peace and the value of peace. And what is interesting is that peace in Scripture is one of those words that is so rich in meaning and it has so many nuances that it's hard to put your hand around one particular thought. But basically, when you boil it down and you dissect all of its part, peace in Scripture basically means totality or completeness. It is a word which, uh, which refers to health, prosperity, blessing, and so forth. But when we look at it in its simplest form, it is actually talking to us about completeness. So when God spoke to us about peace, He was talking to us about something that would help make sense of life and would give to us a sense of wholeness. And so the greatest words on peace and peace of mind can be found in the Word of God. And in particular here in these 11 verses that I read to you from tonight that many of you are so familiar with. How can one have peace of mind in the middle of chaos? How can people have peace of mind in the midst of troubles? How can we have peace of mind in a storm? How can we know peace of mind when we are alone or when we are distressed? How can we know peace when we are battling sickness or some kind of physical infirmity in our body? How can we know peace when we are stressed and we don't know what to do? How can we know peace when we are dealing with such overwhelming and uncontrollable issues in our life? The answer to all of those questions is found in the biblical text that I read to you from and it is, in fact, a prescription for peace of mind. Amen. 
It is a prescription. And here in this text is the answer for troubled times, a peace of mind, and how that you and I can have it. And so that's what I want to share with you a little while about the three factors that are mentioned here that have to do with the peace of mind that all of us want and desire more than anything else in life. And that peace of mind begins in verse 24 when he said that no man can serve two masters. The very beginning of peace comes when we decide who our master is going to be. And listen to me tonight. You will be mastered by somebody or something. You and I have got to settle the issue of who we will serve. And no one, everybody say that with me, no one can serve two masters. No one. A divided mind is the most tormented mind on the face of the earth. And a divided life is the most troubling experience that a human could have. And yet, as a pastor, over and over and over and over and over and over, I encounter people on a regular basis that are trying to make two worlds mesh that will never mesh. They're trying to take oil and water and mix them and make them one, and it is impossible. They are trying to reach for heaven with one hand while they hold on to the mud of this world by their other hand, and they know no peace. A divided mind is a tormented mind, and a divided heart and life is a troubling experience. The most troublesome and restless picture in all of the world is found in the sea. For it is in the sea that you will find the movements of water, and it is tossed back and forth. It is tossed first upon the shore, and then it runs back away from the shore, and it is constantly in motion. The sea and the oceans are the only things in life in which you will never find a perfect calm because there is something going on that is invisible to the naked eye and yet it is powerful in the convulsions and the turmoil that go on within that body of water. The reason why it cannot be still, the reason why the sea cannot be calm is because it is in constant turmoil between two worlds. There are two worlds that affect the sea. There is the heavenly body that pulls on it and causes the ebb and flow. And then there is the earth that reaches out to receive it. And so the perfect picture of the most restless thing in the world is the sea. And there is constant movement there because it is being pulled from two different worlds. A divided mind will never be quiet 
a divided life. We'll never be still. A divided life will never know calm. Somewhere in your life, you and I have to settle who is going to be our master. Now, please don't tune me out yet because I'm going to tell you something about this mastership of your life that's critically important to you tonight. The inner war that is going on in a lot of people would end tonight if they would just make a complete and wholehearted decision and choose their master and choose to serve and know God for who he is and what he has promised to be. And the reason that it is important that we choose our master because in keeping with that thought, when we keep him as the owner of our life and we keep his ownership on our life, then it becomes his responsibility to take care of me, not my responsibility to take care of me, if you understand what I'm saying. You see, the inference there was toward a master and a slave. In Hebrew lives and in the biblical times, a slave was an individual who had no rights. They had no voice. They were a thing, an object of their master. They belonged completely, totally to that master. Now that sounds negative, but the upside of that is because they belonged to him, they became his responsibility. It was his responsibility to keep them. It was his responsibility to provide for them. It was his responsibility to give them opportunities. It was his responsibility to share with what he had in their life. So when you and I make up our mind who our master is going to be, we put our life and the responsibility of that life's outcome in the hands of one who has adequate resources to help us and see us through whatever life may bring to us. My life belongs to him. And because it belongs to him, it is his responsibility to take care of me. Hallelujah. Oh, listen to me, church. Some of you didn't get that yet, but it'll dawn on you after a while that the reason you need to keep the ownership of your life in his hand is because when you become the master, you become responsible. Now, I'm not saying irresponsible. Please don't read into this what I'm not saying. What I am saying is that because he is my master, he is responsible to take care of me. There's no better place to be than to be a servant of the Lord. There's no greater way to live than to live as a servant of the Lord. You say, Brother Hughes, that sounds so negative. Oh, it's not negative at all. When I live as his servant, he has committed himself to taking care of me. He has committed himself to sharing his wealth with me. He has committed himself to making my life better because of my connection to him. Who would be afraid of that? And who would want to turn away from that when your life... Life is made better because of him. And somebody said amen. So when we make him the master, he takes ownership of our life and he takes responsibility for taking care of our life. A slave owned nothing but was supplied everything. 
What a life to live. Praise God. You know why some people are so frustrated tonight? Is because they're trying to play God and they've got a short change deck. They don't have enough resources to play God. And yet they frustrate themselves and a lot of people around them because they try to play God. You know what the best way to live is a submitted, surrendered life. The best way to live is to yield yourself to Him who will do you nothing but good. He will not hurt you. He will not harm you. He will not abuse you. He will not take advantage of you. He will not mistreat you. He will bless you. He will enrich you. He will love you. He will care for you. He will protect you. He will provide for you. He will make a way for you. He will open doors for you because that's his job. Some of you need to resign and let God have his job back tonight. Amen. 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 So we keep the ownership of our life in his hands. And like Jesus, we need to set our face to go to Jerusalem. I discovered something in studying this that I have not seen or seemed to understand before. How many times have people said, Brother Hughes, if I just had the courage to do that, if I just had the strength to do that, if, if I just had whatever it takes to set my face and make up my mind, then I would be committed to God. And you know what I discovered? That commitment comes before courage. If you want courage, then commit yourself. Because when Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem and he made that commitment... He found the courage that he needed to face what was in Jerusalem. And if you're going to sit around waiting for God to give you courage to be a man or courage to be a woman or courage to get up and face life, you're never going to find that courage. You will find courage when you get before God and say, God, whether I live, sink, or die, I am committed to you. I am sold out to you. You are my joy. You are my peace. You are my hope. When I commit myself to him, God will then turn and give me the courage to face the things that I need to face in this life. Amen. You cannot make commitments and then find courage. You, are, or you cannot make or look for courage and then make commitments. You have to make commitments and then you find courage. Settle the issue and set your face, make up your mind, and God will enable you to face anything that is before you. Amen. In the book Quovatus, Peter, the biblical character, was hailed as a man who failed to convert the Romans. And because of his failure to convert the Romans, he determined that he would leave the city of Rome and go away. But on his way out of town, the Lord appeared to him and said, Quovatus, which means, whether goest thou? And it was that question that spurred Simon Peter to realize that he was turning away from the work that he had been called to do. And so he turned around and he went back into the city. And by turning and going back and facing the situation, 
he got strength to face whatever would come. He found the peace of going back that he had lost running away. How many of us have run away from life for so long that it's just become a way of life? When the truth is, if we would just turn and face it, God will give us the courage we need to get through whatever is before us. I don't know who said it, but I like it. They said we do not run because we are afraid. We are afraid because we run. Amen. Fear retreats when we settle the issue and we make up our mind who our master is going to be. Who are you going to serve? Who's going to be the Lord of your life? The second thing that I found in this particular text is that not only do you have to settle the issue of who your master is going to be, but then you have to believe that he is able. Come on, say that with me. I must believe that he is able. I need to settle the issue of trust and who it is that I will rely on. You do not need to be blinded by the circumstances or the events or the situations or the conditions of life. Listen to me, church. Look around you at nature. That's what Jesus said. Look around you at nature and answer this question. Have I not clothed them? Have I not taken care of them? When you look around at nature, you see what God is up to on a daily basis. Listen to me, church. What does it take to sustain this universe that we live in? Not, not just our universe. What does it take for God to maintain this world that we are living on right now that floats around on a perfect axis? And if it were to bobble in the least, all of us would go flying into space. If we move closer or further away from the sun, we would either die of cold or we would be burnt up in a crisp. What does God have to do on a minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis to keep this world in orbit. Have you ever thought what God's light bill must be? Have you ever wondered what kind of energy plan he has? And yet for thousands upon thousands of years, God has been sustaining life on a daily, second-by-second basis. So as bad as things might be right now, you listen to me. Nothing, everybody say nothing. Nothing can quarantine the wind. Nothing can stop the wind from blowing. Nothing can stop the sun from shining. Nothing can stop the spring from coming. Nothing can stop the love of God being shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And nothing can stop the mercy of the Lord in keeping me on a daily basis. And nothing can stop the amazing grace of God that continues to be poured out on my life. Listen to me, church. 
Don't be blinded by circumstances or events or situations or conditions of life. If you will just open your eyes and look around at what God is having to do on a daily basis and you realize what he's doing daily, then when you look back at your problems and you look back at your world, you realize if he can do all of this, surely he can take care of this guy. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, help me to have that kind of revelation today. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that life and health and strength and days, they all come from the Lord. Those things are all in His keeping. Amen. You need to learn how to be happy where you are. Amen. Somebody smile right now and say, I want to learn how to be happy where I am right now. Oh, hallelujah. That choked some of you. You need to say it. You need to clear your throat and say it real loud. I want to learn how to be happy where I am. Oh, yeah, I want to learn how to be happy. I want to learn to live with what I have right now. I want to stop frustrating myself over things that I cannot see and things that I will never be able to know and things that I will never be able to change. Was it not the prayer, the serenity prayer that said, God, help me to know and help me to have the grace and help me to have the wisdom to know how to change the things that I can change but leave alone the things that I cannot change? You know, there are a lot of people that go through life and they're happy about everything but where they are or they're unhappy about everything where they are. We worry about what is coming. We worry about what's around the corner and we seek to find security in things that cannot give us security. Come on, folks, just look at what God has already done and look at what God has already brought you through and open your eyes and learn how to be happy where you are. I'm talking about knowing peace no matter what might happen. I'm talking about peace in spite of everything when you learn how to be happy where you are. Amen. I may not like it, but I'm going to learn how to be happy where I am. I may want to be in a better place, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to learn how to be happy where I am. Because if I don't learn how to be happy where I am, I'll never learn how to be happy where God's trying to take me. And if God were to somehow mysteriously just yank you off of your pew right now and put you where you think your mind tells you you would be the most happy, if you're not happy now, you're not going to be happy there either. So what are you saying, Brother Hughes? I'm saying that there's a peace that you can have no matter what happens in life, but it has its roots in learning how to be happy right where you are. Paul said, I have learned to be content with those things that I have. Now, it is obvious, I'm not, a, I'm not a great English scholar, but the Bible said he learned that. So that tells me that that is not a natural disposition of humanity. But he learned. He learned how to be happy. He learned how to be content. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, he, he said something along that line. I think myself happy. 
What a thought. <laughs> what a thought. To know that if I change my thinking, I could change the whole complex of my life. Instead of everything being bad and negative and woe is me and it couldn't get any worse, if I could just change my thinking and realize that God is on a daily venture around here taking care of stuff and he's been doing it for thousands and thousands of years and he's never failed one time. There's not one daisy that didn't come up that he designed to come up. There's not one robin that didn't sing that he didn't design to sing. And if God could take care of all of those birds and all of those lilies and all of those flowers that are only here for a day, and then they're gone to the fire. Don't you think he can take care of man who was made for eternity? Amen. The third thing, in order to have peace that nothing can take away from you and to have peace in spite of everything is you have to develop the right priorities. You have to keep first things first. Everybody say first things first. First of all, you've got to love the right things. Amen. Everybody say love the right things. Bump your neighbor and wake him up and say love the right things. Amen. Money, fame, talent, all of that is nice, but it isn't everything. There is far more to life than things. So if I'm going to be happy and no peace, I have to learn how to measure life by the right measuring cup. Amen. I got to learn how to measure life with the right measuring cup. If life calls for a cup of sugar, I better have a cup of sugar or I'm not going to like the outcome. And if I think, well, you know what, sugar's bad for you, I'm only going to put a spoon in, you're not going to like the outcome. If that recipe calls for a certain mixture of ingredients and you say, well, I don't like that, I like this, this, and this, you're not going to get what that recipe says you can get. You're not going to take out butter and sugar and flour and put in grease and, and pepper and salt and get the same thing. So I have to learn how to measure my life by the right measure. What counts and what doesn't. Don't use a false measure in your life. And you know what a false measure is? When you're trying to measure your life by what somebody else thinks you ought to be. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks you ought to be. You ought to be concerned about what God says you ought to be. That's the measure. You've got to not only keep the right priorities and love the right things, but you've got to keep a right attitude in your heart. You've got to learn how to be thankful and appreciative and bless rather than curse. Meeting life with the right attitude is the key to happiness. Listen to me, church. I am not owed anything. Life does not 
owe me. The government does not owe me. Nobody owes me anything. I'm not entitled to one thing. Life to me is a gift and God has given me that gift and God has given me everything that I need for that life to be what it was designed to be. But nobody owes me or you anything. So if we get off of this entitlement mentality, and I know that's hard for Americans to do because it seems like the longer we live in this place, the more people come to the thinking that, Our government owes us something. Our government, it's so broke right now, it can't even pay attention. (laughs) I I, I read something today about uh, something that one of our leaders said. And he was was arguing with the opposing group. And and he said uh, something about what the issue was and he said it can be spelled in one three letter word J-O-B-S 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 that's our leadership that's vice president material right there if you're looking for the government to fix what's wrong in our life we are in trouble amen A three, y'all get that a three letter word y'all get that J-O-B-S Okay. That's our government. That's how our government thinks. That's how it operates. So quit looking to that. You say, Brother Hughes, somebody ought to owe me something. Where did you get that from? Life is a gift. It's an opportunity. God gives to all of us that privilege in life. And we have to learn how to use it in the way God would want us to use it. You've got to keep people more important than things keep people more important things when you forget that people are more important than things you will begin to use people to get what you want maintain the value of life every day is a blessing from the lord appreciate what you have focus not only listen to me if you're going to have peace in spite of everything, listen to me right now. If you don't hear anything else I said, some of you having a hard time tonight, I think, getting a hold of what I'm trying to tell you. At least it seems that way, but maybe not. But if you don't hear anything else I say, you listen to me and you write this one down. If you want peace in spite of everything, if you want peace that surmounts everything, then you have to focus not only on doing His will, but in accepting His will. He is Father. That's what He said here in our text. Your Father. And I'm here to tell you that Father still knows best. So whatever God works out in my life, I must learn how to not only do His will, but I have to learn how to accept His will. And somebody said, Amen. If God gives such radiant beauty to flowers for a day, and He is not forgetful of their needs, then surely He will not forget ours either. Amen. Things may not be perfect in your life, but He is the giver of every good and perfect thing, according to James. It all comes down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 
If you want to have peace in spite of everything, you're going to have to learn how to stay focused on what God is doing right now, today. Everybody say today. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen. Amen. I want to say that again. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen. Listen to me. You are always going to have something to pray about. Did you get that? God designed it that way. Because God is never going to lead you to the place that you don't need Him. He's never going to lead you to the place that you don't turn and look to Him for dependence. So you're always going to have something to pray about. But if you'll keep your eyes focused on today, because He said... Today will take care of today. Tomorrow will take care of tomorrow. You can't change it. You can't alter it. You need to stay focused on what I'm doing right now. Does that mean that we're to be blind to the future? Absolutely not. It just means don't waste your energy worrying about what might or might not happen. Like that grandmother that was sitting looking out the bay window. And uh, she just all absorbed in thought. Next thing you know, she just crying like a baby. Somebody come through the house and said, well, man, what's wrong with you? And she said, oh, I was just thinking, just looking out there at that tree, and I saw it would be the perfect place for a swing and for grandkids. She said, but you don't have any kids. You don't have any kids. How many of us don't have any kids, but we're worrying about the grandkids that might swing on that swing out there? How many of us are worried tonight about things that they're not even going to come to pass? And we're concerned and wrought over things that even if we did, we could not make a difference in their coming or going. God orders that. God has his hand on that. God's always going to keep you in a place where you're going to need to pray. So live a day at a time and learn how to love where you are and be happy where you are and enjoy the blessings of God where you are and make Him your master. And if you'll do that, you'll have peace no matter what happens. You'll have peace in spite of everything. No matter what comes or what goes, you will know the peace of God. Let's stand together.